0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. All right, we're um, kicking off a new series this morning that we are calling Built for uh, for More, and we are an are living in one of the most disruptive uh, time periods probably that we've experienced uh, in our lifetime. And uh, it seems like everything is constantly changing and we're kind of like all, I think at this point, like a little gun shy just on what's the next thing, what's the next change, what, what is going uh, to happen? And there's just been a lot of disruption. I mean, we lost college football this week, right? We, there's some more, okay, that's not that as serious, but you know, right? But, but schools and work and jobs, it all seems dis- disruptive and that can be challenging, but sometimes seasons of disruption can also be uh, actually uh, very helpful. Sometimes they can be chances and opportunities for us to really evaluate uh, where we're at, what we value, what we're about, what's at the core of who we are and how we live. You know, I keep hearing this phrase thrown around a lot in this season called the the new normal. Anyone tired of that phrase yet? It's like we, we've got to figure out a new Normal, And sometimes you just want to sit and say, like, can we just go back to normal? Like, that's, that's where I'm at, right? Uh, but the, the thing about embracing the idea of a new normal is it forces you to think deeply about what, what really should be normal? What, what should be the things that I'm committed to and I'm devoted to and I'm about? I was talking to a friend this past week and uh, he is a huge baseball fan. He's a big fan of the Yankees. So we'll, we'll forgive him for that. Um, But we were having a conversation, this was a couple weeks ago, right as baseball kind of started to come back. And I said, hey, have you been watching the Yankees? And I know baseball's back. and, And he just said... Uh, no, to be honest, I really haven't. He's like, uh, in the spring, and when we were in the, in the midst of quarantine, I just enjoyed what God was doing, and I realized that I was just a little bit too connected to baseball, and so I just decided to kind of let some of that go. And, you know, he wasn't saying he's never gonna watch the Yankees again, but it was just the idea of, I just realized there were some things I needed to change about my heart and how I, how I lived. And I think sometimes that's what, what we have in this season, is it helps us to kind of reprioritize. I don't think that's just true for us Individually, but I actually think that's true for us communally. And it's true for us as the church that this has been a season for us to step back and say, okay, what is at the core of who we are? And, and how are we supposed, and what are we supposed to be engaging as the church? A lot of our programs and rhythms and groups and different things that we have become accustomed to suddenly are disrupted or in a, an entirely different way. And it, it can be disorienting, but I think it can also force us to ask the question, okay, but what is at the, at the root how are we supposed to go about engaging this thing even here at Woodside we are continuing to kind of lean into some of those core rhythms that we think the scripture points us towards in how we are meant to be the church and really in these series that we've been engaging both this past one and the one we're about to enter into we really wanted to get at the heart of some of those rhythms and when you when you look at the earliest church They really engaged in kind of two rhythms, two core things that they engaged for how they lived as the people of God and people who were following the way of Jesus. They gathered together in worship, and then they scattered into homes and did life and care for one another. In fact, if you go to Acts 2.42, the first description of the first church in Jerusalem, that's exactly what it says. It says that day by day they were gathering in the temple and then breaking bread in each other's homes. And when you look across all the millennia of church over the last 2,000 years, and I would say even if you look at the people of God before that, those key rhythms have been anchors for the way that people live the life of Christ and following God together. That there was always a time to assemble in worship before God together together but then they would scatter into communities, into villages, into homes and situations where they would engage in loving one another, caring for one another, practicing discipleship together, living on mission to the place that they are at, that this has always been the framework. And so this, that's what we've really been leaning into together, that in this season, we want to be a church that gathers in worship and scatters into communities, communities that live as family, communities that are disciples, and communities that pursue being missionaries to the world together. And so the last four weeks, we spent time really thinking together about what should mark our times when we gather together. That's why we called our series Assembly Required. And we looked at what it means to gather, to engage God's word and confession and to sing together and, and, and all the things that God calls us to do when we come together like this. But now we wanna shift and really look at that second rhythm and begin to think about what does it look like and what are the values, what are the things that we're supposed to lean into as the scattered people of God who live in community and day-to-day life in regular rhythm and life together. And so we're calling this series Built for More because we believe the church is built for more than just a Sunday gathering, that it's built for the everyday life in community that can impact the world for Christ. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be leaning in towards that vision and I think that call together. And so this morning, we're going to begin kind of this series by looking, and we're actually The last series, we're in the book of Psalms, and we're going to continue in the book of Psalms, and we're going to allow it to continue to shape and influence our vision. And I think this morning, we come to one of those Psalms that is just a beautiful reminder of what it looks like to live and the value of living in spiritual family and in community. So if you're not there already, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 133. I'm going to read the whole passage for us. It's only three verses, and then we'll kind of jump in and unpack it together. more. So as we've dug into the Psalms together over the last few weeks, I've told you guys it's always important when you engage a Psalm to always check that little superscription that kind of starts it. Not all of them have them, but some of them do, and it's always good to read those and understand because it kind of sets the context for the Psalm. So when we come to Psalm 133, the first thing we notice is that this Psalm is labeled a song of ascents. Now, the Song of Ascents are actually a subset of the book of Psalms. They go from Psalm 120 to Psalm 135, and they were songs that were sung by the nation of Israel when they would travel to Jerusalem. If you were an ancient Israelite, you were called by the Torah to travel to Jerusalem three times a year to make a pilgrimage to the city, the holy city where the temple was, in order to worship God. You would go on Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Booths. And so these psalms were written to be sung by villages and communities and families as they traveled to the larger assembly of all the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. And they're great psalms that remind us of the way of God and what marks who he is and who we are as his people psalm 133 is stands towards the end of the songs of ascent it was written by david king david and it is a great reminder really of the incredible gift that god has given us in spiritual family and the unity that can exist there in fact if i was to summarize what does psalm 133 really call the people of god to engage or to be about i might say it this way that we are called to celebrate The gift of spiritual unity. That you and I, in the life God has called us to live, we're to celebrate the incredible gift that he has given of one another and the unity that is to be found in him. You might say, well, well how, how do we celebrate? And really, this psalm begins to show us how we can celebrate the incredible gift of spiritual unity. It points us towards three ways. We see the first way kind of begin to be unfurled right away in verse 1. It says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in Unity. So the psalm begins with a call to behold. We are invited to look and to ponder, not just to see the words, but actually to meditate for a moment and behold what the psalmist is picturing here. The psalmist then says that when brothers dwell in unity, it is good and pleasant. So we are to look upon something that is both good and pleasant. That idea of good that is presented there is the idea of something that is a right, that is right, that is aligned with God's created the order and the way he made things to be. The idea of pleasant is something that's enjoyable or delightful for us. And so Right away, this idea of spiritual unity, we are called to behold how good and pleasant it is, that it is both good for us and it is desirable for us. You might think of it this way. I was having a conversation with my boys and my, and my wife earlier this week. And I, I was telling you, I think it was about ice cream if I remember correctly. And I was told my son, I was like, oh, I love ice cream, it's delicious and nutritious. And my little son, Xavier, in his cute little voice, he pops up and he's like, dad, ice cream's not very nutritious. And I said, yeah, that's true, it's not very nutritious, but it is delicious, right? There, there are certain foods that we engage that are both delicious and nutritious. Like, there's foods that we engage that are nutritious, but aren't very delicious. And then there's foods we engage that are delicious, but aren't very nutritious. But the best foods are the foods that are both delicious and nutritious. Amen? Can I get an amen on that one, please? Thank you. And so what the psalmist is saying are there are things in life that are good for us, but they may not be pleasant. Sometimes the Lord's discipline is good, but it is not pleasant. And then there are things that might appear pleasant but aren't always good. They aren't always right. But the best things in life are things that are both good and pleasant, that are both right and desirable by our hearts. And what the psalmist reminds us of is there are something in who we are created to be in our relationship with one another that is good and pleasant. What is that? Well, he goes on. How good and pleasant it is when brothers, and let's stop there for one second, right? Because here, in this moment, as he unfurls and calls us to celebrate the gift of spiritual unity, he reminds us what is at the core biblical vision of how the community of God's people are to view themselves and relate to one another. In this psalm, in its original context, it's calling the nation of Israel to be reminded that they are family, that they share a common ancestor in Abraham, and therefore they are brothers and sisters, and how good it is when family comes together. On the other side of Christ, we are reminded that because of the work of Jesus, in order to be a part of God's family, we no longer have to be ethnic Jews, praise the Lord. But because of Christ, when we put our faith and trust in him, we are brought into God's family. We are made brothers and sisters But what we see consistently throughout the scriptures is that the primary way that God describes his people is that they are a family together, and that is how they are meant to relate as brothers and sisters. This is why the apostle Paul, when he would write to his disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy and give him instructions on how to lead the church, he says, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but but treat him as a father, treat older women as mothers, treat younger men as brothers, and treat younger women as sisters in purity. The reminder from Paul and what we see in this text is that the primary way that we are called to relate in Christ is as family. As the church, we are spiritual And so really the first thing that we need to recognize in the way that we celebrate the gift of spiritual family is that we are called to come into God's family because it is good and it is pleasant. Growing up, my dad used to always use this phrase with us with kids. He would tell us from time to time that blood is thicker than water. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. Probably some of you who are in the older generation might be a little more familiar with it than some of us in the younger generation. I feel like it's lost its luster, but it's a great phrase. I loved it growing up, and it was always a reminder that there was a, a certain proclivity that you and I have towards our family, that there's just this way. The blood that we share in family is often thicker than water. We might have friends, we might travel, we might do all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, your family is your family and there is a certain bond there, whether you like it or not. And so my dad would use this phrase to remind us, hey, you need to be there for your family. Don't lose and don't forget that blood is thicker than water. Well, that phrase is not only true for our physical families, it's even more so true for us as spiritual families, because the truth that we see reminded time and time again in scripture is that when you and I trust in Christ, we are covered by his blood. Our sins are forgiven because of his sacrifice on the cross, and we then are adopted into God's family, where literally the spirit of God is in us, and we are united in Christ with one another. In many ways, we need to be reminded that Christ's blood is even thicker than water, and that it binds us together. And therefore, we are called to hold a certain priority to our spiritual family, to our brothers and sisters, because we are united in Christ. That's why Jesus would say a startling statement in Matthew 12, when his mother and brothers came to him, and they were seeking him, but he asked the man who told him in Matthew 12:48, he said, "'Who is my mother and who are my brothers?' And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, "'Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother.'" You see, when you come to trust in Christ, your very notion of family is reoriented and recapitulated. You have a new family, and your brothers and sisters are those that are in Christ, and they are meant to be a priority. And the psalm reminds us of that right from the beginning that we are meant to be a spiritual family. I think it's good for us to ask this question at this point are you part of God's family? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, asking for him to forgive you of his sins by the cross in which he shed his blood and granting you new life because of his resurrection from the dead? If not, why not? Because when you do that, you get to join the greatest family that there is. But the text continues. I know we're only a few words into it. Don't worry, we won't go too long today. But it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's not only enough that we are spiritual family, we are then called to live that reality out, to dwell in unity. So not only do we come into the family, but we are called to come with harmony. This idea, this simple phrase, dwell in unity, it literally could be translated in the original language to sit together. You could say, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers sit together together because that idea of dwelling of is the idea it's rooted in the hebrew word for sit or to be seated to remain or to abide it's a unity that continues how many know it's easy to stand together but it's not always easy to sit together those are very different realities and we are called to sit to dwell to remain together in unity in togetherness in one accord in harmony See, the call of what we are called to in our spiritual family is to remain and abide together where we share not only our Savior, we share our hearts and our lives with one another. You know, I think it's important for us to remember that when it comes to the spiritual family that we have, unity is a huge deal. In fact, it's a huge deal For Jesus if you look at John 17 Jesus actually prays in his final prayer before he goes to the cross about you and I and you know what he prays for one of the things he prays for is he prays for our unity John 17 verse 20 says this I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word He prayed that we would be one, that we would live and do what the psalm is calling us to do and what is so good and pleasant for us. And it's so much so that he prays for our unity because he says that the world, as they would see us in unity, would be reminded of the unity that Jesus has with the Father. You see, unity is important because it portrays the greater spiritual reality that exists within the God that we worship. Don't forget that we worship a God who is three in one, who is a unity of persons, a unity that is community. We sang about it earlier, even as we opened up our service. God is a community of persons that function as one God in unity, and when his people live in spiritual unity, they reflect the nature of God and display what he is like to the world around us. Unity is important we are called to pursue it. But the sad reality is often our lived unity does not always display our spiritual unity. Though we are one in Christ, sometimes it takes practice to actually live that out and to actually live as one. When we adopted our daughter, she was 17 at the time, and she came with her Uh, son, Troy, and joined our family. And from the moment that we kind of made the decision and then we went to the magistrate and we did all the things to bring her into our home, we were at that point a family. But learning to live as a family was quite a different journey. We came from different backgrounds. There was a disruption in our family, a disruption in her experience and family, and it took time for us to really learn what it meant to live as a unified family together. Even now, it still takes time and work for us to figure out some of those things. It doesn't change the reality that we are family, but we are called to pursue living out that unity together. You are united in Christ. That is true. When you trust in him, you are. But you are then called to live that unity out and to make it a priority, to live with, in harmony with your brothers and sisters. And it's why the psalm says that it's good and pleasant when brothers, when spiritual family dwell in unity, when they pursue it and they live it out and they remain in it. I fear at times that the church has lost its impact in our society because we do not exist as a unified family. That we have let the cultural mores and influences infect us so bad that we do not prioritize our spiritual family, we do not prioritize spiritual unity over the other ways that we divide ourselves within our society society, and nation. and Because of that, we lose at times our witness. I will be honest with you that I am afraid for the next three months for the church, not just our church, but the church global, because it's election season and we all know how much we enjoy election season. But what I fear in election season is that we let our politics influence the way we see spiritual family and the way that we pursue unity with one another. And I have seen it, not in this election or just the previous one. I see it every time it comes around within the church. I'll simply ask you this question. Maybe this is a good test for us. If I told you I was voting for a certain candidate how would that affect the way that you viewed me as your brother or the way you viewed my spirituality? If I said I was voting for Joe Biden, would that affect the way you thought of me and how I followed Jesus? If I said I was voting for Donald Trump, would that change it? If I told you I wasn't voting at all, how would you react? You see, too often within the church, we have allowed our political unity to rise above our spiritual unity, so much so that we will judge other Christians and their devotion to Christ based on the party they hold as if God is somehow beholden to one political party in our society. At some point, we must let go of those sort of divisions, we must see ourselves in Christ, and we must live as a unified family where our politics is subservient to the community and the commitment that we have towards one another. Church, I beg you, in this season, may we be a church that is unified. That does not mean you cannot have political opinions. We are not called to uniformity. What we are called to is to prioritize unity and dwelling with our brothers and sisters in unity over our political persuasions, over our collegiate affiliations. I still love you Michigan fans. (laughs) But we must be a people that strive for harmony together, that allow for differences, but keep Jesus at the center and make our unity of the utmost priority, not just when we assemble, but even in the way that we do and practice life together. And the good news that we see in this psalm is that when we do that, God has incredible things for us. The psalmist ends with two beautiful metaphors that remind us of why it is so good and pleasant to live and dwell with our brothers and sisters in spiritual unity. Look at verse 2. It says, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The psalmist says when we dwell together in unity with our brothers and sisters, there's two incredible things, and he uses two images to capture what comes. The first, he says, it's like those that are anointed with precious oil on their head. The image that he takes is from Exodus 29 where God first anoints the high priest Aaron for the nation of Israel. And it was commanded that oil would be made and it would be poured over his head. And the oil was a symbol of God's presence and God's blessing and God's spirit that would be upon him. What the psalmist says is when we dwell together in unity, we begin to experience the blessing, the presence of God the anointing over us, not only do we experience in part, we experience it in excess. That we have, That's why he describes it as running down the beard, running down onto the collar of his robes, that where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, the spirit of God works in incredible and powerful ways. God's spirit never works amongst a community that is discorded or broken. It works among those that walk together in unity. And it experiences the blessing and anointing of the presence of God in his spirit. The second thing that we see is it not only brings that, it also brings refreshment from God. The second image that he uses is of Mount Hermon, which was a mountain in the northern part of Israel at the time. Today it's in modern day Syria. It's one of the highest mountains in the regions. In fact, two-thirds of it is covered by snow most of the or two-thirds of the year it is covered by snow at its peak. It's one of the areas in which flows into the Jordan River, and so it constantly experiences a heavy dew and it's flourishing and lifelike. He contrasts Mount Hermon with Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem, which is not quite as saturated or as lush. And what he says is that when we dwell in unity, it is as if the dew of Mount Hermon falls on Mount Zion of Jerusalem. That there is refreshment, life, and health that takes place when God's people dwell together. And so it's a reminder, not only is it good, it's pleasant. When we dwell together in unity, we experience the presence and anointing of God. We experience the refreshment that comes from being with our brothers and sisters. God's vision for his church and the way we do life together, we would do it in such a way, such a unified way that we would experience his presence when we experience one another, that we would experience refreshment when we experience one another. But do you know what the key is to experiencing that refreshment? Because listen, you and I, we are desperate for it. We even now, because of this pandemic, even prior to the pandemic, we live in a world that is continually isolating, that is continual individualistic. And our hearts cry for community. It cries for the refreshment that comes with other people. You felt this, right? When we came out of quarantine and the first time you saw another person face to face, it was like your heart leapt inside you, right? We're wired for other people. We desire it. But what's the key to experiencing it? Well, you find it right there in verse one, when you dwell in unity. Listen, listen, not when you just like dip your toe in unity. Not not when you just kind of show up and check the box for unity. You see, that that, that isn't what, what leads to the sort of anointing and the sort of refreshment that comes from other people. It's the dwelling, it's the remaining, it's the commitment to Christ and his people. If you think you will experience the sort of refreshing community in life groups by just showing up once a week and checking a box and not devoting yourselves to one another, you are fooling yourself. You will not experience the genuine community that God has for you by not making it a priority in your life. Community is not something that it can be programmed It is something that must be lived and committed to. And it's why around here we do and are continuing to do and push us towards a deeper vision for our life groups. I don't want to have a place in church where we just show up, check a box, hey, how are you, have some pleasantries. Because that doesn't bring refreshment. That doesn't bring the sort of presence that we need from one another in this time and season. That's why we want to pursue a vision that says, how do we do life together? How do we dwell and remain with one another? How do we prioritize and commit to one another? And friends, I've seen this. I have lived this. I have been in places with brothers and sisters where we've shared and been committed to one another. And I've seen the refreshment. I've seen the anointing that comes in those moments. You might have experienced it too. What my heart is, is that we all might be able to experience it that we all might have that sort of community, that we all might experience the anointing and refreshment of the Lord. And so my call for us today is to be a church that is committed to dwelling together in unity. You see, that's how we celebrate the gift that God has given. We live it out, and we do it. And I pray that's what we do. Let me pray for us now. Lord Jesus, in this moment, I just stand grateful first and foremost that we don't somehow have to earn our unity, that we don't, learn, we don't live for unity, we live from it, God, because you accomplished it already for us. You broke down the dividing wall of hostility that existed between us. You united us in Christ Jesus. You adopted us as brothers and sisters into your family. And so even before we pray that you would make us one, we celebrate God, that we are one in Christ, and we say thank you, Jesus, for the work that you have done. And now I simply ask that we would just live out the reality that you have accomplished, that we would be the sort of people that are devoted to one another, that are committed to sit together, not to just stand side by side, but to sit across tables, to sit across living rooms, to sit across Zoom calls and be committed to the life and health of one another. Father God, I even pray that you would forgive me for the times where I fail to live towards that commitment where I care more about myself than the life in unity with my brothers and sisters. I thank you that grace covers our mistakes and it refreshes us and provides us new opportunities. And so I pray even for our church family this week, would you provide new opportunities for us to dwell in unity? Where there is division, would you bring healing and reconciliation? Where there's isolation or disconnect, would you bring connection? Where we've lost some of our devotion, would you renew it within us? I pray even now as we sing, would you just in this moment unite our hearts around Christ? Let us taste the reality of the spiritual unity that we have in him as we worship you together. Move now, we pray in your name. Amen.